<laughs> Patrick. Hi. Um, so lovely to chat with you, and uh, thank you so much for joining. Um, just as a very quick intro, for those of you who don't know Patrick, um, shame on you. Uh, but <laughs> for those of you who don't know Patrick, uh, as you know on the podcast, we speak a lot about behavioural science and um, we often talk about uh, the different traits and the, the different biases. Um, and Patrick is also an amazing behavioural scientist. Um, but what Patrick sort of specialises in, and if I get this wrong, Patrick, please feel free to, uh, to, to punch me through the computer, is uh, Patrick uh, specialises in, in looking at those biases and, and then looking at the, the ways that you can give the right message to the right person mm -hmm. at the right time. Yeah. Um, so you're not using uh, the, the, the wrong uh, the wrong mechanism to try and get through to the wrong person. Um, but anyway, uh, yeah. I mean, and and firstly, uh, is should I call you Pat or Patrick? Uh, well, I say there's something I say in my presentations is that please call me Pat because research says it makes me more likable. There's a study uh, <laughs> where shorter names and nicknames uh, result in people being seen as more popular and cheerful. Um, but I actually don't like Pat very much. <laughs> so we'll stick with Patrick then. <laughs> um, and you've written an amazing book, uh, Hooked, is that right? Yep, available in all good bookstores, or Amazon <laughs> at least. And, uh, and also at the moment, the reason why we're chatting is there's an amazing course that we've been making with Patrick, which uh, by the time you listen to this podcast will uh, probably be either in testing or out in life so uh, go and have a look it's uh, we made it with with Patrick and, uh, and our friends uh, Rory and, and the other team at Ogilvy um, but yeah I mean I, I just to start off with how how did you how did you get into into this subject um, and what, what was the what was the, the the desire behind it yeah it's not noble at all I was probably um uh, well, actually, when, maybe when I was about 15, um, my mum had this book called Decoding Advertisements, I think, by Judith Williamson. Um, and I was, thought that looks interesting. I read it. It kind of blew my mind the way imagery and symbols are used to, to influence people subconsciously and how adverts often have like an explicit surface meaning, but there's this implicit message which is processed without your awareness. So that just kind of blew my mind. Uh, that was probably my first foray into it but no um a few years later 17 18 i wanted to uh pick up girls and i don't know if you remember at the time there was this pickup artist community um the game that kind of thing um so very cd not something i'm particularly proud of but it, they did have a lot of interesting psychological insights around body language evolutionary psychology um uh priming these kinds of things uh, which again was just fascinating to me, um, and so I've, obviously I've ditched the the pickup artist stuff. Um, but still, <laughs> you're about to be a dad, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. So I mean, I guess it worked <laughs> so, <laughs> to some degree. Yeah, I'm about to be a dad. Uh, Congrats. Baby boy coming mid September, hopefully not the 11th. Um, so that's <laughs> that'd be great. Um, yeah, and then so I I did psychology at UCL, and it went from there. Oh, nice. And uh, you, you've worked for a number of companies and also uh, I know you've, you've worked for lots of different political campaigns as well and, and doing lots of amazing consulting things. Um, yeah, tell us a little bit about your career so far, if that's okay. 
Uh, sure. I mean, I'll start at the beginning, probably the best place for it. Um, so I joined a uh, quite pioneering behavioral science consultancy called Mountain View Learning. Um, and we, uh, we, for example, did seminars on price psychology and, and Rory Sutherland came along, I remember that. Um, so these were like the fledgling days of behavioral science. Um, what, what year was this? Um, let me think how old am I? It was almost 15 years ago, I think. Oh, wow, okay. A good, yeah, yeah, a good amazing. while ago. Um, and, and they also worked with Byron Sharp, the How Brands Grow um, kind of stuff. Oh, so it was really cool, like revolutionary, you know, people aren't rational, people don't care about brands, it's all about emotion and nudging. Um, so that was great, I was very fortunate to be able to work there. Um, and it just kind of, kind of snowballed from there, really. I, I did a marketing master's so I could think about how to actually sell psychology stuff. Um, but it was kind of, kind of useless. <laughs> I wouldn't recommend it. It's, it's kind of, okay. that's, that's, that's a bit unfair, but it was kind of quite outdated, <laughs> uh, sorry, outdated relationship marketing right. kind of stuff. Um, uh, yeah, I kind of, I kind of, um, did it a bit in jobs here and there, but I was always doing freelance consulting. Um, for, for different companies. I, I worked at a biometrics uh, agency where we use facial coding, eye tracking and reaction time testing for trailer testing and ad testing and things, which is really cool. Um, but I think, yeah, the juicy stuff is then uh, in 2017, I joined Cambridge Analytica um, as a lead psychologist as a contractor and also in the commercial department, not the political department. Um, but I was there at the very end um, and things kind of took off after that very much, uh, as you can probably imagine. Um, in social psychology, people are judged on warmth and competence. Uh, so having worked there, I lost a lot of perceptions of warmth, um, but uh, gained a lot of perceptions of competence. Uh, so evil genius, uh, I've heard before, which, I'm, which I, I'll take, I'm okay with that. Um, and not then, evil though. <laughs> no, I don't. I've known you long enough. <laughs> Thank you. Um, uh, and yeah, so since then I, I worked on, as you say, some political campaigns. Um, I co-founded Capuchin Behavioral Science um, and doing some other things with data science, but it's all about, as you say, number one, nudges and optimizing websites and things like that. But number two, um, personalizing nudges and personalizing messaging so that can resonate with, with the, the target audience. And then also, um, how do you get those signals, those psychological signals from data. So for example, automatically extracting features from TikToks um, to to predict what the personality of the person who made the TikTok is like, stuff like that. That's amazing. Can you go into how some of that works? I know in the course you talk um, at the start a little bit about a thing called cognitive, we're all cognitive misers. Yeah. Um, uh, so on, yeah, on the nudging side, we're all um, cognitive misers. We, we have limited attention spans for for paying attention to the world, for processing information, for for making choices. There was one researcher, and I think he might be one of these replicability crisis researchers. But anyway, I think the point's fairly solid. Um, that he estimated that we're faced with two hundred food decisions every day. Um, again, I don't know how that was estimated, but it sounds about right. Um, but that's just food. And so if we've thought through all of these decisions rationally, uh, we'd never get anything done. So necessarily we have to rely on 
hardwired or innate um, shortcuts uh, heuristics to navigate all of this complex choice. And if you understand those um, biases and those decision-making processes, then you can uh, present in information in a way that's going to influence behavior. Um, and also another key point is that being cognitive misers, there's only so much we can pay attention to in the world. So I'm just going to really... so so easy to eat lots of chocolate and cake. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, well, particularly also if you're tired or distracted, then you're less able to kind of think things through carefully. So I believe there's some research that judges make harsher judgments before lunch and at the end of the day because they're they're tired or hungry at that point. Um, so yeah, being cognitive misers, if we don't have that energy, we'll default to emotion like eating cake. Um, but also there's only so much we can literally pay attention to. Uh, one study found that they had people walk through a, a park and there was a clown on a unicycle in a park, but only half of the respondents noticed it because there's only so much in the park that you can pay attention to and there's a lot that we'll miss. Uh, you may have heard of the invisible gorilla where they had a gorilla walk across the screen um, and, and only half of people noticed the gorilla. Um, so marketing, obviously, we're bombarded with information and choice all the time. And so the key for marketers is to understand how to hijack um, what we do pay attention to. I, I think I heard you um, in one of your talks actually described, which maybe goes another level in, of explaining why we're content misers. You were describing almost the, the, the brain in sedimentary layers. You know, mm. I know you said it was a, a simplified uh, ex explanation, but I thought it was really good. And I wonder if, it, if you could talk, talk me through it again. Yeah, absolutely. So this is the triune brain theory, um, which suggests that the brain evolved uh, different regions over time as we evolved from ancestor to ancestor. And with those different regions evolved uh, different functions. So the evolutionarily oldest brain is the so-called reptilian brain, uh, responsible for your heart rate and your body temperature, very basic things. Um, and then around that, you have the so-called mammalian brain responsible for things like emotion. And then finally, around the outside, you have the, the human brain, so-called, which is responsible for uh, thinking ahead, thinking about abstract things, language, empathy, these kind of things. Um, so the, the evolutionarily older parts have, are more kind of tried and tested, so they're more efficient, they take less energy, they're quite quick. Um, whereas the more rational stuff is a bit... I don't know, buggy and takes a bit more energy, but obviously it does much more advanced things. Um, yeah, as you said, it's a bit of a simplification and a bit outdated. For example, mammals can feel empathy and can think abstractly sometimes. Um, but I believe there's more new, more recent neuroimaging research which kind of backs it up. That's nice. And then I, I, the, um, I remember this. This uh, one of the things that you talk about a lot as well is the idea of the sort of the the big five, which um, mm -hmm. I guess gets more into which messaging, which messages should you give to which people at, at, at which time. Yeah. Hearing about that from you really uh, blew my mind. So um, yeah, I mean, if you could share 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 a good overview of that, would be marvelous. Yeah, I mean, so everybody is different. We're all um, precious snowflakes and so on, like, it's very hard to put people into buckets. However, we can put people into buckets and the best way to do that is using the big five or OCEAN as an acronym for these five personality traits. And the way they were found was essentially 
uh, it's called the lexical hypothesis, but it's the idea that a human being can be described by words in a dictionary. Like if a trait exists, then a word exists to describe it. And so researchers over many decades and lots of uh, factor analysis research had people fill in these surveys where they said how much uh, or how well these words described them and they saw how the words clustered together and as I say over lots and lots of research they basically boiled the dictionary down into these five traits um, which are openness to experience which is about being creative and philosophical and socially liberal there is um, conscientiousness is the sea in ocean which is about being organized and kind of living by structure and rules so being punctual hardworking and so on um, E is extroversion uh, which obviously is about being positive and outgoing and gregarious uh, and reward focused. A is agreeableness, which is about being cooperative, trusting, um, non-confrontational. And finally, N is neuroticism, which is about threat sensitivity, basically. Uh, so neurotic people are a bit more sensitive, uh, pessimistic and so on. Which, by the way, there's nothing wrong with any of these traits. Whether you're high or low, there, there's advantages to all of it. Um, but if you understand where a target audience sits on Ocean, what's great is because Ocean is basically accepted um, as the, the best personality model, you know, there's a lot more nuance to it, it doesn't account for, I don't know, spirituality or IQ or, or things like that, but generally speaking it's very useful. Um, and because it's so useful and accepted, all of these researchers have used it. So if you, you can now go and look at the research and you can say, okay, I have an audience that is very open to new things. Let's have a look at past research. What are these people like? Oh, they listen to classical music and they go to art museums um, and uh, they like open-ended random jokes. Um, and so with all of this research, you can understand how to talk to people who are like this. Um, and it's all because the personality trait is really an underlying disposition that predicts your behavior consistently across contexts. So with openness to experience, it's about uh, partly about being tolerant of ambiguity uh, and being novelty seeking um, and having a brain that likes to kind of unpick patterns. So this is, this is how your brain is wired. And so for that reason, people who are open to experience, um, they're more likely to uh, let's say, um, well, I, I can deduce that you're probably quite open to experience because you have lots of different books behind you and you're, you're really into the science and, and everything. Um, so I can probably deduce that fairly well. And then I can use that to predict other things about you. Like you're probably more likely to enjoy a wide range of movies and maybe like foreign movies or indie movies, etc. Um, is that right? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I haven't gone uh, serious Art Nouveau, but uh, yeah, I mean, I've, I, I joined some cinema clubs in the past, so I think that yeah. probably counts. Okay. <laughs> oh, God. I hate it when I make these predictions and I'm off. Um, but yeah, you, you get the point that there is underlying traits. Yeah. They allow you to, you can read people's traits from the signals they leave around them, but you can also use those traits to predict other things, uh, including what kind of advertising they respond to best. Because I guess um, one of the things I, I we were actually chatting to Dan Bennett about this the other day, and um, and and the thing which I found most fascinating about it was it can kind of almost act as a shortcut for you, so that when you look at the tools that are in your behavioural science toolkit, whether it's nudging, priming, framing, um, using authority bias, 
by looking at, at, at the ocean framework, it helps you decide what type of a nudge, what type of a prime might work towards them. Um, yeah. I wondered if you had any kind of good examples of that. Um, sorry for putting you on the spot. Yeah, I mean, I would say yes, it's really good for hypotheses, but as with all things, it really needs to be tested. Because even if, even if you are right, even if, even if there is a correct personality to nudge matching, um, it can also depend on the, the context of the specific audience, you know, maybe open, uh, I don't know, v vegans who are open to new things respond to different nudges than uh, carnivore diet people who are open to new things. Um, <clears throat> maybe not the best example, but uh, some examples <laughs> then, uh, like extroversion, extroverts respond well to to social reward type nudges, so anything that's going to make them cool or popular, so um, social proof maybe, but probably more likely scarcity or belonging to um, an exclusive in-group should work quite well for extroverts. Um, agreeable people, obviously empathy appeals, they also tend to follow the crowd, so conformity and social proof appeals quite work quite well. Uh, neurotics, obviously um, loss aversion, uh, potential threats, but obviously that's an ethical minefield, so yeah. I, I, I wouldn't recommend trying to scare neurotics. Um, but they respond quite well to authority because they like to have like safety and security. So if you can present a certain option in a risk-free, safe way, they'll like that a lot. Um, conscientious people like to follow the rules uh, and do what they ought to do, so kind of ethical appeals. Uh, duty appeals, um, commitment and consistency, reciprocity work quite well for them. Um, and open people, um, they don't really like to conform. Um, what do they like? They like to think for themselves, actually. So if you're using things like metaphors, rhetorical questions, puzzles, that's probably going to work quite well for, for open people. So there's a lot more to it, but those are just some examples that come to mind. And you mentioned, uh, yeah, of course, it, you you can make assumptions, but ultimately it's all about the testing. Yeah. Um, have you got any amazing examples when, when you, not even necessarily yourself, but when, when, when someone sort of thought one thing and, and then actually it's ended up being totally wrong? Uh, yeah. Got any, any great failure examples? Well, actually, one of the first projects I worked on was for a telecoms brand. And at the time, they had as their mascot a very fast Mexican mouse. Um, and if you remember him, um, and they, they, they wanted to know how to improve their direct mail conversion rates. So the letters they were sending, um, and we suggested to them, put the cartoon mouse on the envelopes because it's emotional, uh, people recognize it, so it'll grab attention. Um, uh, but actually it ended up being one of the worst performing campaigns they ever had because some research found out afterwards because uh, people looked at it and assumed that it was junk if it had this cartoon mouse on the front and so they didn't take it <laughs> seriously um, so that's something from my own uh, past experience but yeah there's loads of things uh, obviously the 2016 election uh, is a great example of um, data not actually matching um, expectations uh, in the US there uh, there's all sorts of reasons for that you know it's partly to do with weighting the sample and the fact that it's not an absolute democracy, but 
also obviously the difference between what people say and what they actually do. So it's very important to try and adjust and account for these things if possible. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it, it's nuts when you look up those ones. I remember reading, uh, I think it was actually an example that you shared with me the other day about the sort of Tropicana mm. packaging. Um, they did a rebrand at Tropicana, if any, anyone's listening, can, you know, their, their packaging is quite iconic. They've always got a picture of an orange with a straw on it, mm. and they decided to change it to some sort of very fancy new uh, uh, cool bottle that just had a picture of a glass of orange juice on it. It looked quite bland, and I think sales dropped by 20-30%. Mm. Um, they very quickly changed the packaging back to the original, and, uh, and they recovered. But that, that, that was presumably focus tested a lot and it had a lot of fancy things. For example, the lid was in the shape of half an orange. So when you opened it, it felt like you were squeezing an orange, which is really clever, yeah. but consumer decision. They should have kept the lid maybe. Yeah. <laughs> and the, the rest of the packaging could have gone. But yeah, it is strange when I was reading up on that to try and find out more. I couldn't find anywhere the research that they did before. So I kind of almost wonder whether they just had an idea and then mm. had some some pre-assumptions um and then and then just did it mm. um, yeah, when, when we were talking about it i was making a big assumption that they'd done focus groups and things i'm sure i've heard that somewhere before but if you can't find it maybe not but um uh, i read a few it looks like they, they did some um they did some some research asking them very broad questions as opposed to exactly showing them the packaging oh, okay. um, and I think that's where it kind of went wrong um, but uh, anyway I mean, if anyone uh, was involved in that project let us know and <laughs> tell, tell us what happened yeah, tell us about the disaster project that you were involved yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. do you know about Therapy that, session. Um, that that video that Rory has used before um, diamond shreddies yes so that's a, that's a great example as well, <clears throat> where it was a kind of a joke ad about a new version of Shreddies where they're diamonds rather than squares. Obviously, a square is a diamond. Um, uh, and it's a great example of value perceptions. It's all about how you frame something. But as part of that campaign, they did some focus groups where they got people to try the diamond Shreddies. And, and people would say, oh, yeah, yeah. It tastes better. Even when the squares and the diamonds were next to each other, they'd say, yeah, yeah, it looks good, it's better, yeah. Um, so people often in focus groups will tell you what they think you want to hear, or they might tell you what they genuinely think, but that might also be divorced from reality. Yeah, it's, it's fascinating. I mean, uh, I know um, you've obviously listened to Joe Fatterini a lot. Um, it's an amazing uh, wine chap who, uh, who also... Uh, dabbles in, in behavioral science a bit but um, I mean I used to work in the wine world so I always get a bit excited by it but yeah the the, the wine is fascinating uh, when you look at that industry and in that pretty much if you have an expensive bottle of wine next to a cheap bottle of wine regardless of how good or bad the wine quality is inside the bottle you are always going to choose the expensive one mm -hmm. um, so there are some things that just really don't make any sense but uh, yeah it's it's uh, it's a crazy world. Someone was telling me yesterday how she set up this um, like business leadership transformation course for free and nobody wanted to go. And then when she started charging for it, uh, it became very popular. Yes, it's, it's nuts. I mean, we with 40T courses, we're always struggling with, with, with pricing and it's uh, we've always tried to make it 
you know as, as affordable as, as we can and uh, interestingly as as we raised the pricing uh, we actually got more customers um, which you know <laughs> always sort of boggles my mind as well but um, I mean let's move on to to maybe some some of the, your your most favorite favorite examples of work that you've done in the past uh, there must be some um, some incredible stuff um yeah i mean so th there's all sorts of things uh, i don't know where to start really um <laughs> uh, it's one of the things that i was great it was really one of the uh well it was for um it was for a tobacco company but it's a tobacco company who don't want people who want people to never smoke cigarettes again and so they have a device which is 99% less harmful and they want cigarette smokers to switch to this device instead um so i don't know if ethical is the right word but you know it's, it's okay um yeah. and yeah. it was really interesting to do this uh research to understand uh why do people advocate or not this this device um and uh to to find the the interventions um therein it was just uh, it was great to kind of um i don't know why this one sticks in my mind but to come up with these practical interventions like for example um the the referral code was just a kind of rum, a jumble of um, letters and numbers and when people are in the pub it's a very social fun relaxed kind of environment uh but um so, so because it's social and fun and relaxed, you don't want to go digging through your emails to find this very rational technical code. Um, and so the, the intervention, therefore, is either let people choose their own code or give them something memorable, like a combination of two words, uh, or give them a QR code to put on the, the device. Um, so I don't know why that one sticks in my memory, um, but I just love the idea of well, there's this well you're saving lives <laughs> getting people not to smoke and uh and yeah, instead do, do vaping i'm a hero anyway <laughs> yeah, congratulations <laughs> but i just that one just not worthy thank you it just sticks in my mind because it's just so like when you think about it it's so obvious but you you do the research to get there and it was just such a nice clean solution of just make the referral code more memorable. It's, it's so simple, but you don't like think about it. I think that's the, the beauty of behavioral science, isn't mm. it? It's, it? It's often these things which don't necessarily cost a lot of money, but just require some extra thought and some understanding of behavior that can make a ginormous, ginormous interest um, or uh, difference. And um, I mean, the, the have there, have there been any others uh, more more recently, or uh, was the, the the vaping solution uh, uh, the most recent? Well, it's not vaping; it's uh, slightly different. But um, oh, okay. <laughs> I don't want to give too much away because there's only one one company that does it. Um, I think I know what you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> I've not been very um, discreet. Uh, so there's uh, yeah, I mean, there's loads. There's so many. Um, I'm currently working on a an academic project using targeted nudges for suicide prevention. Um, so that's one that I'd love to talk about. Um, but basically, so we did a pilot study and we found that uh, certain messages resonate with certain demographic and personality groups. Um, and now we're moving into actually uh, 
doing that segmentation properly and also designing the ads to send through Facebook and see if we can get higher um, engagement with this uh, mental health resource if we use targeted nudging. Um, obviously, I like that one because there's a lot of well-deserved controversy around um, and debate around targeted nudging, but I think it's kind of hard to argue with this one um, that this really is an example of it being used for good. Yeah, well, what's the what's the, the solution? What, what are some of the... Are you allowed to share it or is it all, all private? Um, no, I think... Uh, well, we've only done the pilot so far um, and it was... I'm going to, I'm maybe getting it wrong, but it was something like, and again, as I said, like it, it differs from context and group to group. So but specifically for this, I think the main thing was, um, I think it was conscientious women responded best to the social proof message. Um, and then it resulted in an increase in like 40% uh, in engagement, which was oh, wow. saving the, the hotline number in a phone. Um, but when I say social proof message, I can't remember what the exact wording is. Um, and that, of course, right. is, is the really important thing. Um, so that's why it's so important to test, because what you think might be social proof might actually be being interpreted in a different way by a certain audience. Um, yeah, I don't have a kind of takeaway nugget, really, to share on that one. <laughs> it's on, ongoing. Uh, <laughs> watch this space. Um, one of the other things I thought was hilarious when I was reading up um, about some of the things you'd done in the past was there was this this uh, uh, quote you'd written down it said uh, David Mitchell uh, once <laughs> likened you to Mother Superior in nipple yeah. tassels uh -huh. um, I feel that deserves an explanation <laughs> <laughs> well I, I use it um, A because obviously uh, proof is in the pudding it's emotional and attention grabbing <clears throat> um, and visual it was very visual, so it lingers long in the <laughs> mind. Uh, but um, so what the why he said that was because I had done a study for eBay, and I was kind of uh, it was a paid PR study, um, and I was I was uh, or still am an associate lecturer at Goldsmiths. Um, <clears throat> so the study it was you know it wasn't peer reviewed, but it was as scientific and robust as I could do it. Um, was to look at how background noise affects you while you're shopping online. So, for example, if you listen to classical music, uh, you will pay for more expensive products, which an academic study found with wine as well. Uh, if you're listening to birds singing, you're more likely to buy uh, or you show higher purchase intent for a barbecue and outdoorsy stuff because of priming. Um, so it's a really cool, interesting study, but he made the not unfair point that I was kind of pimping out my academic credentials to um, for money, uh, which is true. Um, yeah, I, I don't really have a, a defence. He was right. <laughs> that might help explain why uh, why I'm always uh, buying things online when I'm when I'm working. I'm always got either classical music on in the background mm. or uh, or bird songs. So uh, maybe that's why I like having barbecues so much. <laughs> Do you listen to to bird song as a track? Or just yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, really? Yeah, on Spotify, I just have hours of bird songs and just put it on the on a speaker in my office. Do you really? <laughs> it's so funny. That, yeah, yeah. It's so uh, funny uh, the number of the number of people who walk in here like when uh, my wife will walk in and she'll she doesn't realise that it's on the speaker. So it's like 
Wow, you can really hear the birds in here very well. <laughs> like, no, it's on the speaker. Um, I, but yeah, it, I do that sometimes. I need with... something in the background, I think. Ah, uh, so you're an extrovert. You need that, you need that uh, stimulation to concentrate. Yeah, but I find it impossible to get any work done if I don't have something else going on um, mm-hmm. around me. And it, it can't be anything too uh, crazy. I can't put on new music that I've... I've never listened to before because yeah. I'll be massively distracted. But if it's just a background noise, background um, music, yeah, some something repetitive. Um, I know Rory. I think uh, uh, I remember in one of his talks he was saying that he used to listen to uh, tracks of uh, of people chatting in cafes in this <laughs> sort of background chat chats yeah. on uh, on on YouTube. I'm um, I'm an introvert, so I absolutely hate that. I need total <laughs> silence. I even like turn my phone off and put it in a box so I don't get distracted. Um, but I'm with you on listening to birdsong. <clears throat> I listen to, to nature. I think nature is very good for you. And what drives me mad is when you're on holiday on a beach or something and people are playing music. So I traveled halfway around the world to enjoy this beautiful <laughs> nature and, and you're playing uh, Miley Cyrus. I don't get it. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it's crazy. And, um, yeah, I mean, uh, the, I guess we should really talk a little bit about the course as well. Yeah. <laughs> so, given that uh, this is a, a 42 Courses podcast with uh, someone who's helped make the entire course, <laughs> so, uh, I, I'd, uh, I almost forgot. Um, <laughs> do you want to share? We're still working on the title at the moment. It's, it's either going to be something like Behavioural Science for Effective Messaging or Behavioural Analytics. But um, <laughs> could you give us a, an overview of uh, some of the things we, we put in the course? Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> so, I mean, I think there's two parts to it, broadly speaking. The first is generally, how do you make uh, messages online or otherwise effective? Um, so that is uh, grabbing people's limited attention spans through things that we're hardwired to pay attention to, whether it's movement or sex or spiders or a sexy spider or whatever it might be. Um, and, and how do you engage people emotionally and, and how do you be memorable? <clears throat> uh, and a little bit, of course, on, on nudging, but there's, there's a lot of that already. Um, and then the second part is uh, targeting and customizing these things to different types of people. Um, so the kind of things that we've been talking about today, but also how do you detect these traits through the, the cues that people leave? Um, for example, if they if you have purchase history data, then you might find that uh, certain people buy, um, let's say you're a, books, a bookshop, certain people buy philosophy and <clears throat> classics and poetry. And so you could deduce that they're open to experience. And so you'd send them emails which are creative and different. Uh, other people might buy um, uh, celebrity books and memoirs and rom- romance books. And they're probably extroverts. And so you'd send them a different type of message. Um, and then there's a bit of practical information in there about segmentation and targeting and how to actually do it, how it works and so on. Uh, the nuts and bolts. Um, but there's lots of fun stuff in there about the slices of cake and, and the brains bouncer and these kinds of things. Uh, and then at the end, we do talk a little bit about um, ethics and also where this is moving to in the future. For example, we've talked today about targeting personality traits, but you can also target mood, how people are feeling at that particular point in time. Um, and in the future, obviously, we'll have biometrics. We may even have 
Neuralink embedded in our brains, there's all these things happening, all this data collection now. Um, so it's moving very quickly. Um, and I would say, I want to say you don't want to lose out, you don't want to miss out uh, if you're listening to this. Uh, so you should join the many, many other people uh, and listen to this scarce exclusive course. Um, but yeah, this stuff is moving exponentially, so really it's important to get a to, to get in front of it. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's. Uh, I think it fits in very nicely with the other courses we we made on behavioural science so far. So, you know, we kind of got a uh, with Rory, we've got a you know the, a behavioural science course, which is really just a, a general overview of, of the field um, and shows you a little bit about you know, what is priming, what is nudging. And then once you've understood that, we've got a kind of applied behavioral science, which is, uh, you know, gives people the framework of uh, how to apply those uh, those biases and traits they've learnt and, and and use them in the field. And then this one, in in my mind, is is more about how do you give people the right message at the right time. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's what it what is the message that you give those people. And um, I mean, it, it's it's been such a joy to make with you as well. And, and with uh, with Rory and Co and um, yeah, I'm excited uh, excited for everyone listening to uh, to give it a try. So uh, yeah, please. I'm excited. Please do, uh, go on. <laughs> I haven't seen the finished thing yet. I'm excited to see all videos. <laughs> yeah, at the moment we're just uh, finishing off some of the illustrations for it. So it's uh, and then I think uh, actually today all the videos have been added to the live course. So uh, yeah, we're 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 very close to to launch. It'll be available for Nudgestock. Um, it should be good. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, that, that's, uh, that, that's that course, <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, there's anything you're working on at the moment that you want to share or any, uh, any, anything, uh, any, any parting words of wisdom? Uh, I mean, it, it's, it's amazing chatting with you. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I feel, I feel there's, there's always things that we've got, got, got that we can talk about. So, uh, yeah. And anything else you want to, want to share coming um, up? So I've set up a couple of um, data science specific uh, businesses. Um, probably oh, wow. the most the most fully formed is called Cubic Intelligence. So it's like a philosopher's stone for data. We take your shit and turn it into gold, basically. If you have loads of data, <laughs> then we can tell you actually what it means about your users and how to use it. Um, so if that sounds uh, if that sounds useful to anyone, please check that out. I'm also writing uh, a book on. Uh, how to not get nudged um, so so keep an eye out for that you know, nothing wrong with nudging obviously but I think it's important for people to have the tools uh, you know we're bombarded with information all the time from all corners so I think uh, Stephen Pinker wrote a book recently about just kind of taking the foot off the accelerator a bit on this stuff and saying well we can be rational actually so let's, let's not lose sight of that um, so that would be fun keep an eye out for that um, but yeah I think that's it and or if, if you want to find out about all these companies and see everything that Patrick's doing, uh, he has a very conveniently uh, uh, easy to remember website, uh, which is just patrickfagan.co.uk. Uh, so uh, you can find him there and, uh, and then he's got a link to, uh, to how you can get in contact with him and all, all of these other things that we've been talking about. But um, yeah, I mean, Patrick, it's been an absolute pleasure, joy, uh, to chat with you and uh, and thank you so so much for taking the time to share some of your incredible wisdom um, and uh, just quickly before you go there's a there's a question that we try and ask uh, um, all our guests which is um, 
would you rather fight uh, 100 horse-sized ducks mm -hmm. or 100 duck-sized horses? Uh, I, I would probably go for the 100 horse-sized uh, duck-sized horses because I'm not sure there's much damage that even 100 of them could do. Uh, whereas one horse-sized duck could do a lot of damage, I think. But it's, it's a war of attrition, and I think versus... I'm just look, Sorry, I'm just looking at my floor trying to imagine how big they'd be. Uh, I think I could take on the, the 100 duck-sized horses, yeah. I just um, stomp them one by one. <laughs> okay. I, I wouldn't well, take good luck. pleasure in it, but I'll do it if I <laughs> Good to know. <laughs> Uh, thank you so so much again and um, yeah have a have a marvelous rest of your week and uh, and look forward to, to catching up again uh, hopefully in real life but thank you yep. so much absolutely thank you